we tend to expect those that are following us to keep up with us. And a good leader, a good shepherd-hearted leader will learn to slow down and be at the length of legs of the people that we're leading. We want them to mature and to grow their own experiential legs, but it's gonna take some time and it's learning to slow down enough to be, be present with where they are, to listen to where they really are. Sometimes we rush to answer questions they're not asking. Welcome to the Shepherd Hearted Leader Podcast. We are so glad you are here with us today. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about faithfulness over fame. And Nate talks about a story where he felt like Mr. Incredible stuck in a cubicle when he wanted to go save the world. So if you're like me and you wanna learn how to be faithful even when it's hard, this episode is for you. Last time we talked all about Shepherd Hearted Leader and I wanna like dive deeper into that. Left off talking about famous versus faithfulness and maybe you could just unpack that a little bit more Mm. for our listeners. What does it mean to be faithful and can you be faithful and famous and like... Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a like a an objective set of things. What are faith, faithful things to do that are just normal Christian life parts of it? And so that'd be the first part that I would talk about because um, in order to lead others, you've got to have whatever you're wanting them to do and be and behave like. You have to have that in yourself. And so um, to be faithful. You, you, first of all, you got to be a faithful child of God. So man or woman of God doesn't mean you're perfect, but you are essentially saying, God, you got all of me. And I'm willing to, to follow you with all of my life, my prayer life, my regular life, my home time, my work time. My every, it's all up underneath being faithful. So, so really surrendered, like a yeah, surrendered. Yeah, but it's even the categories of it. Sometimes we categorize that just into your professional life. But to be a shepherd-hearted leader, it actually can't j- just be relegated to when people see you. Hmm. It's also got to be offstage. It's got to be behind the scenes. It's got to be true in every part of your life. You know, I remember, now we don't do this anymore, but I remember when I was a youth pastor and we had a youth leader manual. And we had a set of guidelines and expectations and a covenant that our leaders would sign as a youth pastor. And in there were some things that weren't in the Bible, but they were behavior things that mattered with the students. Hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't draconian with it, but like we had a lot of kids that were coming from alcoholic homes, that were coming from uh, experiences of drug abuse and those kind of things. And God was bringing them into our youth group. They're getting saved. They're entering our discipleship process. And so... A lot of unchurched kids. Yeah. Just the typical kids who've gone through something. And honestly, not just unchurched kids. Yeah. Because you got those behaviors going on in churched, quote unquote, kids as well. And so they were coming in. And one of the things that I, I believe is, is that people don't just follow what you say. They follow what you do. Hmm. And I think that they become who you are. Hmm. So there's also aspects of the unseen. So like we were heavy on the relational component of our youth leaders going to kids games, hanging out with students, not just showing up for, for their one hour on Wednesday night, but you know, thinking about life. And so the expectation of our leaders was in our code of conduct, if you will, is that we wouldn't drink, we wouldn't drink alcohol. And it wasn't that if you drink, you're going to hell. It was, no, we can't have those things that are destroying the next generation being a part of our off-the-stage experience. And if a student were to see one of their youth leaders in another setting and that youth leader was indulging in something that was destroying that kid's life or their family, there would be a disconnect. So Mm -hmm. faithfulness for me was more and still is more th- than just performance when others see you. It's a part of your ethic of life. So, and part of that ethic of life means follow through, showing up. Um, yeah, you're going to have days where you don't feel like coming, but you come and you're faithful. You show up, you're regular. It's a part of, I don't care what the weather is. Like, uh, I want to I wanna be there. I want to be there for the kid, for the adult, for the family that shows up in church, 
um, because this is their last hope. Yeah. And on that day, it's a snowstorm and everybody else wants to stay home and they love us to stay home. And, uh, faithfulness is saying we're going to be counted. They can count on us. Well, in a climate like Minnesota, faithfulness can be showing up on a sunny day when you'd rather be at the <laughs> lake or outside. You know, let's be real honest here. Yeah. And that's even like in our own life, right? That's the challenge is do I want to go? Not just do I expect others to go. Yep. Um, and I think faithfulness is just being counted counted on. It's like the sun coming up in the east and setting in the west, a faithful person follows through. Think about some of the people that you mentioned the first episode and how you look at them, like Jeff Grinnell and your mentors, Dr. Anderson and Pastor Benson, and being able to look at them now, decades mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. and they're still serving Jesus. Yes. So really faithfulness isn't just, hey, you know, I can do something great for the Lord, yeah. and then on a whim, I'm going to fall away and just do something else that I think is great. It's, are they going to see you as a Christian decades from now? And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. I mean, what is your dream? Is your dream just to build something great? Or who are you going to be on the other side of that dream? And for for me, the people that um, I hold high, highest in my, my estimation, my value set, are the ones that do it for decades and they keep doing it all the way to the end. Now, I tell my dad mm-hmm. all the time, I'm like, Dad... Listen, now he's in his 70s. I'm like, Dad, show me how to live when I get there. You know, don't lose it now. You know, you were faithful all these years when I was growing up. I've watched you be true all the way through. Don't blow it now. Um, Well, I think I have that same responsibility to those that are following me, not just for a show, but I want to be faithful. I want to all the way to the end because when I face Jesus, I want to hear Jesus say to me, well done my good and faithful servant. Wow, it's powerful. Mm. Powerful when we even remember that scripture with it. So you've had, I've heard you through the years have a lot of action steps that you would talk about being a shepherd-hearted leader. Uh, About a year or so ago, you spoke at the CMN conference about Mm -hmm. being a shepherd-hearted leader and praying into the future or reaching into the future and Mm -hmm. helping others. Um, accomplish what God has for them. And we'll dive deeper into that next time. But just want to hear a little bit about your thoughts and unpack some things. Uh, You talk about chasing the voice and not the uniform. Can you explain what that means? Mm -hmm. So um, if I truly believe that I'm called by God, then then my primary place of joy, acceptance, um, burden, um, the ability to sustain whatever I'm in is from God. So it's the voice. And for me, that is a personal thing where God met me. I met him. I could take you back to earlier stages of my journey to prayer rooms, mm-hmm. private places where um, I was str- struggling. I could tell you, for example, when I moved from Michigan to Minnesota and uh, the cultures were very different. Life was very different. All the people I knew were not where I was now at. And I was at North Central and I was living in the dorms and I went to the prayer room and I remember feeling so alone. Some people call that anxiety. Some people would say that whatever, you can come up with a psychological term for it now. But inside of me, I felt empty and alone. Um, I didn't want to quit because I'm not a quitter. But even then, I felt like, did I make the wrong choice, the wrong decision to come here. And I started praying. I can remember rocking and praying in that prayer room by myself with the door closed, crying. And then I began to hear the whisper of the Lord again. You're right where I want you to be. And that's all I needed. I didn't need to have everything figured out. I just needed to know, is God with me? And if God is with me, I can handle any assignment. I can be obedient to that season and that stage. And for me, that meant, you know, I had left a certain level of notoriety overseeing 50 high school students in Michigan and in a connect group. And I loved what I did. And now I didn't know anybody. And now I was showing up at a church where I was a volunteer and I wasn't allowed to lead a group. I was underneath somebody else. And I could accept that assignment because I knew this is where God wanted me to be. And so I just embraced wherever God wanted me to be, um, listening to and obeying the voice and what I call the whisper, because sometimes uh, opportunity 
and uh, big events or big opportunities can feel like God is speaking, but it might not be him. And of course, you're relating to Elijah's story after Mount Carmel and he's on the run and then he's in a cave and it wasn't the noise and the storms outside and the earthquake and the fire. It was the gentle whisper of God that he was listening for. For any leader, including myself, I always want to lean in and only follow the whisper because people will salute the uniform. And if I follow other people's perspective, their opinions about what I should do. Which you get a lot of opinions about from others of what you should do. Over and over and over again. Everything from decisions about opportunities and jobs to COVID and mask or no mask to will you preach on... Why don't you share your thoughts on the elections to why aren't you talking about prophecy and end time stuff? Everybody is going to put their pressure on me. And I'm grateful that people care enough to talk. But at the end of the day, I only want to communicate what God is saying to me. And I have to be alone to hear the whisper because the whisper is what drives and motivates me. It's the core of my driver in my life. And if I follow that whisper, it's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's what Samuel, when he went into the temple as a little boy and he thought it was Eli and he kept running back and forth to Eli and he heard the whisper and it wasn't, it wasn't Eli, it was God. And he had to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I think that we all have to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening at every stage of our life. And it gets more complicated the more responsibility and success that you have. But the responsibility is still there to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Our first thought was all about faithful, being famous, and then listening to the voice. And you brought up David, who he listened to the voice, and the Lord brought him out of the limelight, so to speak, put him out in the field, tending sheep, keeping him faithful. And I look at your life, and I feel like that's been a pattern, whether it's leaving the youth ministry uh, back in the day in Grand Rapids, Michigan, feeling Mm -hmm. like you were not notary or notary noticed noticed i guess um and when you came out to emmanuel and then after a while things start going great and then god sends you back in the back desert uh, going to north central for a while and kind of misunderstood and it's you've given god a lot of opportunities to speak to you and have that whisper and as your wife i really appreciate knowing when you're when you're praying and seeking the Lord that you're committed to hearing the voice and following it. And mm. as I am as mm. well, um, there have been just some interesting times where uh, you've had opportunity through the years and it'd be great opportunities. And, and we just didn't hear it. Yeah. I remember, you know, you could have gone out to Grand Rapids, Michigan and been a youth pastor or at, yeah. you know, pursued an opportunity like that with your childhood yeah. pastor. And he called and said, Nate, what are you, what are you thinking? Remember that? Yeah, I remember calling him and I said, it was Pastor Benson. And I was like, um, Jeff Grinnell had left, my old youth pastor, and I was essentially asked to take his place. And at that time, I was the assistant youth pastor at Emmanuel, and I wasn't doing anything on the platform. I was out in the hallway taking care of the problems. And I get the phone call. I could become the guy in my hometown underneath my dream pastor, all of that. And uh, I remember he gave me about a week to pray about it. And Jody and I, we, we spent the time praying. And uh, we had pros and cons. And uh, you can weigh all the pros and cons up you want, but at the end of the day, you got to listen for the whisper. And I remember I just didn't feel the burden to go. And I, when I called Pastor Benson back, I just said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I said, I, I, don't, I don't have a red light, but I don't have a green light. And he said, then I'll take it as a red light. And I was like, I've said no to you know, the man of God. And he said, truly, you can only go when God tells you to go. And it taught me so much yeah. because um, you can't let your p- current circumstance determine what God's green light is. Sometimes he wants you to stay. Yep. And, hard and it gets places. worse. <laughs> It gets more (laughs) difficult, but he's looking to see if you'll stick it out. A true shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep, not just for the opportunity. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward decade later, when you have the opportunity 
at North Central, we kind of chuckled and said, yeah. no, you're not going to do that, right? Yeah, Maybe. literally. No, I you said remember that this? Yeah, so you didn't like change. No. And I, I hung up don't. the phone when Dr. Anderson says, hey, Nate, I'd like you to think about coming and working with me at North Central. And I said, I don't think so. And he said, would you pray about it? I said, sure. I hung it up. And well, you said, what was that call about? And I said, Dr. Anderson wants me to come to work at North Central. And you said, no, you're not going to do you're that, You're not going to do you? that, are you? I was like, no way. Why would I do that? We got everything we need. Why would I go back? Why would I go do that? And, and uh, Yeah, at that time, you were leading the youth ministry. It was going well. Everything was It yeah, wouldn't make rocking. sense to do it. Yeah. And, and then I hung up the phone, didn't think anything of it the next day. Did, didn't someone ask you, Nate, isn't there a whisper? Or would no, you that was a couple days later. But the next day is when God God began to stir me a little bit. And I'm like, oh, what am I feeling? I was, and uh, and then you came up to me and said, Nate, I, sh- I think you should think about this. Yeah, I think your parents were at our house that yeah. weekend and they were fasting and praying. We didn't know they were doing that. Yeah, you said you should think like, about oh. it. And I went, oh, no. Like Jody's my fallback, right? You're not... The girl and, who doesn't like change. But here, here God was speaking. And then some two days later, Glenn Menzies, who was the the chair of the pastoral ministries department, said to me, hey, is there even a whisper of an interest? And that wrecked me because I had to admit there was a whisper, and that whisper was the voice of God. Yep. And we resigned on Tuesday. So crazy. Yeah, God um, found David. Samuel found David out in the field being faithful. And I just think about how looking back, all the pieces lined up where Mm -hmm. God had you in different aspects and different seasons to get us lined up and to be where we're at today. When you're talking about those seasons, I think it's important to think about it because those 10 years at North Central, I had 11 different offices, bunch of title changes. I felt like I was a fish out of water. Like I was not in my normal domain, the church world was. So like when I go travel and preach, it was like coming up for air. <laughs> I was like, this is this is my world. And I would go back to the school and I'm like, just didn't feel that way. And Dr. Anderson, he moved me around the university and gave me different responsibilities that didn't make sense at the time. So I was asked to oversee enrollment and financial aid and admissions and church relations and and I was, it wasn't like I got up in the morning like I used to when I'd pray and rebuke the devil because we, we preached the gospel to the kids that night and Wednesday. No, now it was like enrollment numbers and long budget meetings and all these. I was on 33 different committees in 10 years at North Central. And I remember during all those times, like, why am I here? Am I forgotten? I mean, remember you- Mr. Incredibles? We watched that movie when the kids were little. <laughs> And yes. you uh, saw Mr. Incredible sitting selling insurance behind the desk and you started crying. Yeah, I literally like cried weird. watching Mr. Incredible because cause I was like, that's me. I just <laughs> like, want to go save the world. I want to go save <laughs> someone. I'm stuck with uh, some short guy pointing his finger at me. Tell and, me to do better. Yeah, of course, Mr. Incredible ruined that opportunity when he hit the guy. <laughs> I wasn't going to hit anybody around me. But that moment was stark. And I had... I had to accept the assignment when I felt forgotten. I had to say, okay, Lord, even if my best days are behind me, I'm still going to say yes in this season of my life. And now, looking back, those 10 years were preparation for the job I'm in now. The, The vast administrative responsibilities, the complexity of a university really set me up for leading four locations and taking care of of a complex organization at the church without throwing my hands up and without ruining it, God had prepped me. So even those seasons of trusting the voice really paid off. So it's one thing for you to trust the voice. And it's another thing to have staff. And you always say, I don't own your call. Yeah. And we know that they can hear God's voice. Talk about that and the challenges with that. Yeah. So... Um, Challenges when they leave you, maybe. Yeah, you know. um, So first of all, when we pray about um, opportunities and openings, I I don't make all the decisions anymore in our church for who gets hired and who doesn't. Um, I can obviously veto things if I need to or whatever. I need to trust the layers of leadership that are making hires, but key ones, pastors on staff, those kind of things. Um, 
I pray a lot, first of all. You know, Jesus prayed before he went and chose his disciples. And then when we will offer a job to someone, it could be somebody from within or somebody outside. I I pray about it and then we just offer it. And <laughs> there's a lot of people turn me down. Uh, so I have to be okay with that, right? Even if I think they're making a mistake, um, I have to trust that. If they do say yes, then my view is my time with them is as a temp- temporary assignment. I'm an interim leader in their life. So I'm not the permanent leader um, and I won't be their last leader potentially. So I have to view their season on my on our team as being God's chosen season for their life. That means they make choices during their time pastoring. We've got people in various locations. They're doing great things. We've got great leaders and departments like youth and worship and different things that were there. They're doing amazing things. And they all say things to me like, Pastor, we love you. We love your your leadership. And almost as if I'm going to be with you for life until they're not. <laughs> because the reality is at some point, they're not called to me. They're called to God. And I have to release them if they come to me and say, we feel like God's calling us to leave. Now, if they give me the opportunity along the way before they make their final decision, I may help them stay. Or they might give me opportunity to move them around within our church and give them more opportunity. They don't need to leave our church. They don't need to, to grow. grow. Yeah. We can find spaces. And so we're always looking for ways to um, hear those things. What's really going on inside of the heart of our staff? What's What are they thinking about? What are they missing? How can we help them grow? And then the times do come when, when they say, we're going to leave you. And I've had to learn over time how to bless them immediately. Like, I don't argue. I will never say anything negative behind their back about it. Um, they may say things about me, and that's up to them, but I'm going to bless them. And in the long run, my dream would be to still have a relationship with them years later because I believe with them now and I will believe with, in them later on. That's amazing. Now, you said something that you don't hear a whole lot of pastors or leaders say, mm. where you say, you're not called to me. A lot of times I'll hear pastors feel like their staff should be called to them personally mm-hmm. to help lead the church or lead an organization. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about that, like yeah. your thoughts about you're not called to me. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a nuance to that because while they are with me, they are called to the vision underneath this church and the leadership. And of course, I cast that vision. Maybe a better way of saying that is, I don't own them. Um, that their their calling is larger than their present uniform. Um, they might be a youth pastor. They might be uh, an online pastor. They might be whoever they may be. And while they're working, they do need to come underneath the vision and the leadership that that I've laid out. But they are not limited to that. And so... Um, I want them to understand they're called to the voice of God. And if they learn to listen to his voice, just as I have, that God will grow them while they are with me. And if they leave, it's not a sign that they're abandoning me or they're stopped coming under my calling, if you will. They are called to God and they are steward underneath. I'm, I'm to steward them while they're underneath me. And that's Okay. Um, so it's not an ownership thing. I think where pastors get in danger is when they think they own their staff. Um, they don't own anybody. This is God's flock, and uh, I'm very strong about that. At the same time, we love them. We care for them as pastors. We care for our, our staff and our people, um, but we hold it loosely enough that they can follow the bigger call that God has in their life. And by the way, Sometimes both can be accomplished. So like we have staff members that are immensely gifted that are utilizing their gifts in the ministries of our church, but they also can go minister in other places. So we give some release time. um, Our youth pastor uh, will go preach to camps in different places. They don't have to quit to go do that. We, you know, we plan it out and there's putting PTO time in and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's PTO and sometimes it's not. 
Um, we want all of our staff, for example, to go on missions trips, or we call them kingdom builders trips. We want them to go on those trips. They don't have to take time off to do that. So it's a recognition that their calling is outside the confines of their job description, that it's much bigger than that. All right. So calling to being called to the voice, allowing those around you as a shepherd hearted leader to hear the voice of God and trust that they are hearing God. I mean, there are times if they let you speak into it, you might say, uh, like if yeah. we know that they're going to a, a place that's not a shepherd hearted leader yeah. and it's going to be rough for them, we'll maybe encourage them to, you know, yeah. pray about it a little bit more. But sometimes God sends his his uh, sheep out into the field, I yeah. guess, or the leaders out into the field. Yeah. Um, I like one of the things I see you do a lot is sending people instead of just saying that they're leaving. We bless them and send them on their way mm-hmm. out. So I love that about what you do. Um, another thing I've heard you talk about really deals with the motivation and like a person's desire to see results. Can you talk about pacing of a shepherd hearted leader, like pacing and praying? Mm-hmm. So there's this whole concept uh, um, that I used to teach in youth ministry world that really plays out to all ministry, and that is the concept of pacing. Um, There's an author named Richard Dunn who talked about going on a walk with his son who's like four or five years old, and they're out on an abandoned railroad track, and they're throwing rocks and killing bugs, and it's a a dad-son bonding moment. And he describes in there so brilliantly in this book that I had read that um, that his mind as a dad started wandering to do his responsibilities in the office and uh, what he had to get done later on that day. And without realizing it subconsciously, his pace sped up. He started walking a little faster. And it took his son two times to yell something to get, get him to kind of break out of that stupor and his son said dad slow down dad slow down and what he was saying was hey dad um what was a bonding experience a shared experience with you and i here is now an inventor and trying to keep up with you because this little four or five year old kid with shorter legs had to run to keep up with his dad's fast walk And so Richard Dunn introduced this term called pacing. Now, I've taken that and played it over in multiple ways, where as leaders in our own maturity, we tend to expect those that are following us to keep up with us. And a good leader, a good shepherd-hearted leader, will learn to slow down and be at the length of legs of the people that we're leading. We want them to mature and to grow their own experiential legs, but it's going to take some time. And it's learning to slow down enough to be, be present with where they are, to listen to where they really are. Sometimes we rush to answer questions they're not asking. Um, you remember the time yeah. when Sunday night church uh, years ago, this back is back in the, in the day. day when we had Sunday night church and hundreds of people show up at Emmanuel back in those days and they come for worship and, and we go have this altar time at the front and it was powerful. Well, in those days, while we were working at North Central, but attending Emmanuel, we came on a Sunday night, and I loved it because we came in late, because we could, and I was no longer on staff. But we got in, and we were about the fifth or sixth row back on the far side on the right. And during worship, somebody was, I think it was Christy Northrop was up front leading or something. And she was singing this old song, your love is extravagant, friendship Oh, intimate. And all these people that were mature believers coming on Sunday night had their hands up. It was this intense Holy Spirit moment. But our sons, our two older sons, were in the service because the kids didn't get released till after worship. And our sons were bored. They were like ADHD or something going on. They're looking around, pointing at people. And I'm, I've got my hands raised, but they were bugging you. And, and they were just being boys. Right? Yeah. And they were asking you questions. And David kept asking you a question. And he said, uh, what's this? And he said, what's sex? No, I asked him. He kept asking me questions. So I said, just write it down. Oh, so he started right? yeah. writing me a note. And so he wrote, what's yeah. sex? And, uh, and it was on the back of, a, of one of those, what, like connect cards or something on the, and 
I'm worshiping, then you tap me on the shoulder and you're like, look out. at this. Look at what, look at your kid's writing. He's so little. Do you he's see like what he's saying? He's like 10 years old and he's writing, what's sex? And I look down and I see it. And she's like, you, you said to me, you need to talk to him. <laughs> so I throw my hands back up, start praying in the, in tongues. <laughs> I'm praying in the spirits going, Lord, give me wisdom. What do I say to my kid? Well, a little bit later I looked and he kept writing and on he he continued it wasn't what sex it was what's extravagant yeah he was asking what the word extravagant meant i was preparing to answer what sex was sometimes we tend to leap ahead and answer questions people aren't really asking yeah. and the best thing that we can do is slow down and listen to where they are and that helps inform how we communicate second thing is the holy spirit has already been working with them all along before we got into their life and so we're just another one of the spiritual tools that God is utilizing to, to take care of and raise up his children. So why not pace in prayer yep. and begin to pray, Lord, you're already at work in my church. You're working my staff. You're in work in the people that I'm called to lead. Lord, would you help me be in step in sync with you so that, Lord, together and under your power, I accomplish your goals for their life? There's something about pacing prayer that will give us a greater sense of perspective on what we do when we come out of prayer. Okay. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so you know me, I like to say I'm a perfectionist without the ability, right? And they always talk about being in ministry as like the impossible profession where there's always someone doing more. There's always someone doing it better. And I think in a world of social media. I'm, I remember back in the day in youth ministry, there was no social media. So coming back into the church world, you know, in the last decade, dealing with social media and all the things that um, you have, you got people comparing other leaders. They're always looking at how other people are doing things better. Uh, how does the shepherd hearted leader deal with the desire to do ministry perfectly and try to do it better? Oh, what a great question. I could answer you because you're, you're wanting to be perfect, um, but I think you're like a lot of people. Um, first of all, God values progress over perfection. Um, sometimes I think we have an ideal and we don't hit the ideal. Anything less is a failure. But even, you know, you look at the comparison game too. Yeah. So. And so the comparison is a way to, get into that space where you end looking at others and you might have had a great service but then you go online and you see social media why somebody had a better service at least that's what you see yeah. on Instagram or whatever and then somehow you feel like you failed well um, this is where who are you working for comes into play what are God's goals for your life success is accomplishing God's goals and God's timing so how do you take that thought into how you evaluate yourself? And um, it does not mean you don't try for the best. It does not mean that you're not always working on doing it better. But there is a point at which you need to chase something different than perfection. And, um, you know, perfection, you know, be perfect as I am perfect, the scripture says, and all of that. Um, but if you look at how Jesus led his disciples, he didn't expect perfection out of his disciples. What he did is he, he let them make mistakes, and he taught them through his their mistakes. And you see him instructing them. You know, you got the sons of thunder wanting to sit at the right and the left hand of the Father. <laughs> he utilized Jesus utilized those mistakes, those moments of a little sideways. Uh, energy, improper goals and all of that, and maybe narcissistic goals. And he utilized those things to redirect them to kingdom values. And so when I am working with people, some of them are gifted and they're talented in so many ways. And the gifted and the talented, sometimes if performance is their only goal and they want to reach perfection because that's the only way in their mind that they're going to receive affirmation, then that's a, that's a negative thing. Sometimes that comes from family of origin issues. Um, 
you know, if a kid felt overlooked or, you know, sometimes we've, I've worked with people who they could never get favor from their dad or a hug from their dad unless they performed. Hmm. Some of those issues are internal psychological dynamics that we don't see the father in heaven the correct way. The father in heaven wants us to live our best, but he allows us to go through our mistakes too, and he still gives us a hug. And it's his grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he went through that knowing that we were sinners, and we have to learn to accept ourselves and the forgiveness of God and what we're doing. All that to say, a great coach will also look at a team and say, we did really good. How can we do next year's better? Or how can we improve on our performance? And sometimes that means looking through game tape, evaluating what we just went through. We've got a team on our staff that on Monday mornings gets together and breaks down Sunday. And they talk about what went great, what didn't go so great, and what are we going to do next time? As I was going to say, I notice I'm not in that meeting. <laughs> it's probably the perfectionist side of me, me is like, probably a good thing that I'm not in there. No, yeah, and you probably already told me job. the night before or your your opinions. I've gotten better, though. I've, <laughs> yeah, I I've learned to like right. submit myself to the Lord, and as I accept my own mistakes, yeah. I accept others. That's good. So that's, that's good. if I can't please myself, no one else can please me, so I better <laughs> lighten up, right? Oh. Um 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, it talks about how love always protects. It mm. always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mm. Uh, it always protects. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, I love that verse, and I love it in the context of a shepherd-hearted leader. Because if you, you use the imagery of the word, love always protects, it's kind of the imagery of a roof of a house, the roof of a house protects it from the element. We're grateful for roofs in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine the snow and the cold and the rain and different seasons of the year? So it protects everything underneath its care. Well, we have, as leaders, people underneath our care. We're the roof, if you will. And what does it feel like to be a leader under your roof? Are you caring for the people? Are you... Is it safe to be under your leadership? Is there growth? Does it feel like a greenhouse that you can grow and stretch? So as a shepherd heart of leader, I think we all need to strive to be the kind of leaders where it's safe to be underneath our leadership. And if it's not, you're in danger. So if leaders don't feel safe, um, they can't bring up difficult conversations. That does not make you a good leader. You need to be able to handle the difficult things and still care for people. Um, and that's hard. I mean, I mean, people will come in and sometimes they'll, they'll not like their experience or something has happened. It doesn't reflect my heart in our church, but they blame me for it because ultimately I'm responsible. I'm the leader of the church. So I could get defensive. And if I'm in a defensive posture, I'm not a good roof. Oh. I'm not loving people. So I have to do it in a way where I'm not defending myself. I'm caring for the other. I have to look beyond the moment and what they're saying, even in anger at times, and to care for the individual. A good shepherd will do that. A good shepherd lays down their life for the sheep. Yeah. Uh, I've heard you quote, honor people by talking to them and not around them. Miles McPherson in the third option said that. And uh, a lot of times you're... You're good at doing that, going to the prop, talking to the problem, not talking around them, and yeah. you encourage people to do that. Yeah. That's a really important part of protecting. Uh, talk about the aspect of faithfulness as it pertains to the shepherd-hearted leader. We talked about this, I guess, earlier yeah. about chasing faithfulness instead of fame. Talk about um, a lot of times you'll talk about the long game, even yeah. in our relationships with our kids and getting daughter-in-laws now and some of the complications it has as children become adults. And yeah. I think all of us have those kind of challenges, whether we're business leaders or church leaders or yeah. staff, um, about playing the long game in yeah. ministry. So what, yeah. So in, in, well, first of all, the goal has got to be the long game because that is faithfulness. And so some people are fight or flight. They either fight and they make, make it worse or they leave, which is bad too. 
So um, when it comes to the long game, what I mean by that is I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you as a staff member, let's say. Even when we're in disagreement, there are going to be times of tension in human relationships. You mentioned what it's like with our sons as they grow older. Um, they're going to encounter other ideas out there. They, they might hear how another church does something. They might hear how other people do it in their families. And then they say it in a way that we're not doing it. And it can feel like there's a tug of war. What, are you leaving me? Are you abandoning me? But the long game says, I'm willing to let you go through this season where it doesn't feel like you're as close to me as you used to be, but I'm still in it with you. Mm. Like I'm not withdrawing myself because I feel like you're pulling away from me. A good leader should learn to stay in, to lean in, to allow people to go through the quiet seasons. You know, um, there are people over time that will approach us and they'll say, hey, I'm gonna go to another church. Now they've already made their decision, so I haven't been a part of the process. And I'll bless them while they go, mm-hmm. knowing my heart is still there for them if they come back. Yep. I'm not gonna shut them off because they left me. Um, I've heard a lot of leaders that do. They, it's almost as if you're out of the family if you leave, you're done. And that simply isn't the heartbeat of God. I love how Jesus describes the father of the prodigal who is still looking for his son who left the farm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think the long game says I'm always looking and I'm ready to be a part of the miracle in that next part of the story when people leave. And um, that means that I can't lose it along the way. I've got to keep my heart pure, love people, not because they love me back, but because I love people. Yep. And um, and that means sometimes you got to get you get hurt in the process. And I would rather take those hurts to the Lord and not out on people. Yep. Yeah, uh, Pastor Dennis, the founding pastor, always would say, "Bless them when they leave, and or bless them when they come, and bless them when they go, because they'll probably be back." Yes. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's kind of been funny and cool about being here for the last 10 years, being here for 10 years now, is we've watched people go, which has been hard, but then we've also watched them come back. So not everybody, uh, even in our staff chapel, it's kind of funny as, you know, this year they celebrated your 10 years of being at Emmanuel. And it's like, it's your second rung, run around the lap here too. This is your second set of 10 years because you were here as a youth pastor, almost 10 years now, again, and then just looking around the room and seeing multiple staff, we're like, hey, it's your second time back too. (laughs) So we, you know, if you treat people right, you know, God's going to work in their life. And if he brings them back, there's no burn bridge. So we don't have to cancel people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes it a little more challenging because now people are never really gone, you know, because of social media, you're always seeing what they're doing and who they're loving and you can't obviously chase everybody down. If somebody's in another church and they found another shepherd, we defer and let them be shepherded by their new shepherd. But uh, if they come back, they're always welcome and always going to be loved and special. Yeah. Yeah. And if we, I mean, we can share the story of when we went back um, for our wedding reception in Michigan in 1994, we were married in Minnesota, but we went back to Michigan for all our family and friends out there. And uh, while we were in town, we went back to the old youth group that I was a youth leader in, Jeff Grinnell, been the youth pastor, and all my old friends. What we did for fun is we we worshiped and prayed. <laughs> That's what we did for fun. So we went over to Jeff's house and we were in the basement and everybody got down there. Somebody went on the piano and they began to worship. And, uh, and then Jeff laid his hands on our shoulders and God gave him a prophetic word a picture that he prayed out loud over us and at that time he said he said i see a a house in a field Mm. and uh, people people are coming from miles around out of the woods and through the fields to that house and they're finding you home and we really didn't understand exactly what that meant until this last 10 years because in you know 30 years at emmanuel um and of course, we had our years, great years as a youth pastor. There are people that are coming to our church even this last week that were once under us when I was a youth pastor. Yep. And when they come back, they find us home, which to me means 
we still love them. Yep. Like the father of the prodigal, our heart is still there for them. So even though they've left for decades, we care for them because we care for them. And when they come home, we're ready for them. Yep. So powerful. So we talked a lot about shepherd-hearted leader. In order to lead, you got to have some sheep. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the sheep. So we've, you know, obviously celebrated the 10 years at Emmanuel this last year. Dr. Anderson, your mentor from North Central, uh, gave you a message that you didn't know was coming. And he talked about taking care of the flock. And he was actually shot a video of himself uh, greeting you. And he was out in the flock taking care of his animals and talking about how you have to care for them. And sometimes that's cleaning up after them. (laughs) And uh, when we think about what it means to be a shepherd to sheep, what kind of challenges have you faced as a shepherd when it relates to the sheep? Well, there's all kinds of challenges. The, uh, the picture of sheep, even Jesus talks about one leaving the 99 and gets stuck out in the, in the uh, thicket or in the brush. And um, sheep do stupid things sometimes. Um, and they, they're ignorant, they're stubborn. <laughs> I remember at Christmas time, we got one that we tried to bring out kind of live nativity scene kind of feel this last. A live sheep. Yeah. And out on the, the platform. thing didn't want to go. And they're like literally dragging the sheep across the platform. And while it's leaving its stuff behind, yeah, it was hilarious. Someone had to clean up after first service. It was, yeah, it was funny. Well, that's a great visual because they're stubborn. They don't always follow and they leave stuff behind. So it could be a negative, inferior picture of sheep. But the truth is, they don't always see what you see as a shepherd. They're not aware of the larger picture. And that's why God's called you to be a shepherd. So it's not to demean those that you're called to lead. It's more about recognizing that their perspective is different and guiding them to the place that they need to be. So feeding is one part and giving good information giving them what they need to live. For me, that's preaching. For me, that's guidance during difficult seasons, you know, the last few years, giving them just practical information that will be helpful to their journey because it's a crazy world out there. But then it's also about leading to greener pastures and recognizing, hey, where we are isn't where we need to stay. We got other things ahead of us. And you know, it was 10 years ago that we were a one-location church, and God wanted us to be more than that. And I was discovering that as a shepherd, as a leader, but I needed to lead our sheep to where I felt like God was leading us. So I had to learn to cast the vision in a way that they would follow it. And even then, I was some surprises when we did our capital campaign at people that just didn't buy in. And what I learned during that period of time was that nobody was a bad person. I, I didn't make a mistake by casting vision but at that point of the journey i was only had been the lead pastor for about two and a half years and they didn't yet trust me at the level that they do now and so the relationship of sheep to shepherd is also a part of it and their trust level grows over time if you're faithful you keep showing up you keep loving you're there for their funerals you're there in the hospital room as a loved one is dying. You're there for the high points of their life. And they may leave for six months because they got other things going on, but you showed up every Sunday. And then when they come back, they see you again. By the time you've proven your faithfulness to the flock, they're willing to follow your leadership. So, you know, we even joked this week that um, I'm not called Pastor Nate anymore. I'm just called Pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, people have like dropped the Nate off and I'm just Pastor. Like it's a an entity unto itself. Well, I wasn't called that 10 years ago. Yeah, it took a decade to get there. That's right. Uh, it's interesting when we think about the social media and the comparison and all that, and we roll into COVID season and you've got people hearing all sorts of things on social media, other voices. I think that was a real eye-opening season for Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. to realize, wow, the shepherd, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd, but wow, the sheep have a lot of shepherds. (laughs) Yeah, the whole social media internet era has created um, 
opportunities for people to discover other people's voices in the church world too. So, um, you know, I remember when we did the first couple weeks of just uh, church only online and it was the lockdown. And I had a few people in our church that were like, I watched you this morning, Pastor. And then I watched Stephen Furtick. And then I watched, and they like watched five different services oh, yeah. that day. And uh, they thought they were complimenting me. And I felt like, wait a second, I'm just being measured against their gifts? <laughs> or wh what if their message was different than the one I had? And what impact will it have on the sheep? And then later on that year, um, as things became more intense in the, in the um, politics side of things and George Floyd and masking, no masking, and then later on, it was going to be all about whether or not you get vaccinated. There are so many different worlds out there speaking about that same subject. And so I started getting my, my direct inboxes on social media filled up with, Pastor, you should listen to this prophecy. and You should listen to what this guy said in, from Kentucky. And you should hear this. And, and I just got fed up uh, on Sunday morning. And I just stood up and I just uh, like, I don't care what some pastor in Kentucky has to say about you. It might be real or not, but he's not going to give an account for you yeah. before the Lord like your pastor will, your shepherd. And so stop sending me those videos. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hear God. And I'm going to tell you what I think God is saying to you. But the reality is they're still listening to other voices. Yeah, that makes it quite challenging. Yeah. So as we wrap up today, mm -hmm. is there anything that you would think that you would like to say as a shepherd to the sheep of how you can encourage them in their mm -hmm. journey. Yeah, the first thing that I would say is take all your confidence from Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Follow Jesus. And if you're underneath Jesus, you're underneath his authority, make sure you have somebody pastoring you. Um, because when you're underneath another shepherd, for me, you know, I'm the the top guy on the Emmanuel list, but I still submit myself to other shepherds. We have five advisory elders over at our church, and um, I intentionally, voluntarily come underneath them. I allow them to speak into my life, to shepherd me. If I'm in that posture, then I turn and I want to pastor others and shepherd others, and I'm following Jesus, I'm underneath authority, Th then do it confidently. Love the sheep. Lay your life down for the sheep. And even if the sheep bites your hand, <laughs> even, if, even if they leave you, um, allow God to, to do his part. And you're only responsible to do what God's called you to do. You can't control anybody. You can't make anything happen. You can trust that Jesus has put you where you are and just do your best. And then if you pace in prayer and you're partnering with God and there's things that you don't understand, believe in the supernatural the power of the Spirit to lead you and guide you. Just like Jesus told his disciples, don't worry, the comforter, the counselor, he's going to tell you what to say. He's going to help you out. And if you're not just leaning on your own understanding, but you're pausing and you're plugging into heaven and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, he will help you be a better shepherd than you were the day before. He'll give you real-time advice in this moment. He'll help you lead and be a good shepherd. We are so glad that you're part of the conversation today. I am so grateful that we can follow the Good Shepherd. He's the one who's ultimately the best leader and we can learn from him. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you could leave a review or a comment, we would love to hear what you have to say. That would be so awesome. Feel free to share with friends and we will see you again next time on the Shepherd Hearted Leader Podcast. Thanks for listening.